Movies entertain. Entertainment leads to emotions. Those emotions connect us to our enjoyment of film. And that is why we exist, to focus more on the emotional connection than the technical merit. Because every movie makes us feel something. Hey listeners, welcome to the Feelin' Film Podcast. I'm Patch, and with me ready to hopefully get this conversation right the first time is my best friend and co-host, Aaron. Patch? Patch Hicks? <laughs> Bing! <laughs> Hello. <laughs> hey man, it's nice to hear from you. Uh, how is Snowpocalypse 2019 treating you? You know, it's okay. It's nice to be out of work for a couple of days, and then you hit that, like, midpoint of that second day and you realize i'm in the same clothes or you know i haven't done anything i haven't moved much and i'm kind of out of my routine and you're just like ah, i'm ready for things to get back to normal i am with you I-, I like vacation but when vacation turns into what feels like a prison sentence that can get pretty annoying so well glad to see you glad to see you hopefully in fresh clothes and and ready to rock and roll um, obviously, this week we are arriving a couple of days late because of the impending circumstances with the weather and also because of the Super Bowl, but that does not prevent us from celebrating the latest American holiday, and with that, we thought it'd be fun to talk about one of our favorite comedies, Harold Ramis's Groundhog Day. Before we do, though, uh, Aaron, why don't you uh, give us a couple of announcements that you have? Yeah, I just wanted to real quickly just... Mention again, for those that may not know, we are currently running a GoFundMe drive. Uh, we have some cool prizes that are available, or rewards, I guess I should say, for certain donation levels. What we're trying to do is just raise a little bit of money to help with our travel costs for myself to attend San Diego Comic-Con this summer as a member of the press and give some coverage to Feel and Film um, I'm really excited to do this. Uh, since the last time we announced this on the last episode, um, we have confirmed that MJ Smith, one of our guest hosts who's been on the show once or twice, um, he is going to be coming with me and joining me. So we're going to be working hard for the entire con. I mean, we're going to be getting interviews. We're going to be tweeting out updates and uh, trying to do little podcast updates of news pretty much each day. Um, and we're really excited, but lodging is expensive, and frankly, unfortunately, we need some help with that. So um, if you can check out the GoFundMe, there are links to that in the show notes. There are links to that all over our social media pages. Anything helps. Ten bucks gets you into a t-shirt drawing and things like that. We have other rewards like premium picks, where you can pick a movie for us to uh, cover. We have t-shirt giveaways we have uh, patron discounts uh, for getting patron voting privileges and things like that so just give it a check and if you can contribute that would be awesome fantastic yeah every little bit helps and um there's just benefit for everybody so give and get all right with that being said let's go ahead and get into the movie discussion and this is a little bit special because this is uh, one of our contributors our one of our good friends Jeremy this is his number one movie of all time which is a rare thing for anybody I, I don't know that I've known anybody with this movie as their number one Aaron do you uh, Jeremy is definitely the first I don't Punxsutawney Phil might have this as his favorite movie yeah, of all I, time but I wouldn't see him as a movie kind of person even though he's because he's not a person so it you know whatever anyway in that case it'd be kind of like a biopic too that's this is true which would probably elevate it into people's you know top 100 because biopics tend to do that so what we're going to do is uh we asked him to contribute his one word takeaway and his connecting point to the episode and even though he couldn't be here with us we wanted to go ahead and read that so i'm going to go ahead and read his and then we'll drop into yours if that's cool Aaron. all right so his one word takeaway was today. And there's a quote from the movie that he brought with, uh, with it and says, what would you do if you were stuck in one place and every day was exactly the same and nothing you did mattered? And he says that about sums it up for me. Much like Phil, it seems like most people, himself included, live their lives trapped in the same cycles from day to day, week to week, and year to year. Although all the while, we hope and pray for a better tomorrow. I want a new job. You want a new house. Phil wants to get the heck out of Puxatani. 
These are things that remain elusive if we're always looking for our salvation in tomorrow, like Phil is in this story. It's only when Phil learns to live to be the best version of himself that he can be today that he can hop off the carousel and experience the tomorrow that he had hoped for. I think it's a valuable lesson in what could have just been a goofy movie. So that's the standard, guys, of what we're having to live up to. Jeremy kind of kicked it off and hit like a triple when it came to his one-word takeaway. So I'm hoping that we can do this movie justice with equally as beneficial and deep one-word takeaways. Maybe we won't, but whatever. Yeah, I'm not even going to try to to like float out there that mine's as deep as that. You know, Jeremy's probably seen this movie dozens more times than I have. And so I, I was really excited to hear his one more takeaway. And I think it's a really, really good one. I'm super excited to get to talk through this. And I think that this film lends itself to a good conversation uh, about absolutely some things that maybe you might believe when you watch it on the surface. And when you dig a little deeper, they might not necessarily be true. So my one more takeaway was introspective. My appreciation for this film and the reason it's one of my favorite comedies goes really far beyond the humor of the film, which admittedly is fantastic in its own right. But Danny Rubin's script provides a lighthearted and accessible way for us to consider some incredibly big questions about spirituality, love, morality and ethics, and the passage of time. I enjoy watching Phil go through this trial of repetitiveness. It's fun. It's funny. He's forced to confront some of his worst qualities and learn some important lessons, but I always end up lost in thought, too, wondering what I would do and what my presumptions about what I think I would do say about me. Um, it's not only a great comedy, either. It's actually a great science fiction time travel film as well. It's really subtle, uh, but it, yet it's effective and thought-provoking, and I think that that makes it really special. Fantastic, man. Yeah, for me, I... I pulled out Journey. That was my one more takeaway. Not the band, but the actual noun of, of that. And some of Don't to... stop repeating. Go on, live that day again. Mm, I'm liking it. I'm feeling it. I'm feeling it. I love it. This is feeling music for a minute. Oh, that's good. Ooh, let's get back. All right. So, yeah, <laughs> Journey's the word that I came up with. And a lot of it has to do with the fact of what you and Jeremy have both said. And I didn't want to repeat. But... When when I look back on my history of Groundhog Day, I remember not liking this movie at first, getting annoyed with the repetitive nature of it. But that was before I realized I was a moron, okay? <laughs> Thank <laughs> Thankfully, like Phil, I had multiple chances to correct that mistake, and now it's really a favorite of mine as well on many levels. A movie like this takes us on a journey with Phil and allows us to live somewhat vicariously through him. I find myself asking the same questions he does and in my head making some of those same decisions that he makes. And what I love is that Groundhog Day is a big what if story wrapped up in a quirky and really informed narrative. I love its accessibility, the fact that it doesn't take itself too seriously, but has a balance of knowing when to be very toned down. Uh, it could have gone one way or the other, and I love the balance of that. But I also love the big themes that are wrapped up in this really simple, important themed uh, narrative. It's it's a movie that takes me by surprise, quite quite honestly, because I don't when I, when I see the premise, I don't expect what I get, and and that's that's nice. It's very refreshing. Bill Murray, I think, is one of the reasons why, and I think it's because I'm I'm familiar with his comedy, but when I when I look at a movie like this and I think about movies like Lost in Translation, this feels more like that, where you have kind of a it's not a seasoned Bill Murray, but I think a lot of what I love about him in a movie like Lost in Translation exists here, where he can be kind of obnoxious, but also kind of sincere in all of this talking. Honestly sincere, if I'm gonna if I'm gonna be fun about it. But anyway. So good stuff, man. Yeah. I actually make the same connection and Lost in Translation as well is one of my favorite films. And also I would probably say those are my two favorite Bill Murray roles and mostly because of that very reason. You're right. It's more deadpan-ish when it comes to the humor. It's more, it's less forced. It's not, it doesn't feel like he's intentionally doing a comedy routine 
like some comedies that are, you know, that are actually made to do that. So I enjoy the characters and I feel like they're more, they get, I connect with them better because I feel like they're more realistic in the way that they are funny mm-hmm. than your everyday guy. They feel like everyday guys that you know. Yeah, absolutely. And I think Groundhog Day does that for me because there were a number of times when the, the choices that he made, as I mentioned before, were choices that I would make. Like I look at that what if scenario and I go, hey, what if I could steal some money and, you know, spend all of it and, and become this elaborate guy for a day, knowing that there were no consequences or or what if I could eat as much as he does in the diner, knowing that it's not going to matter. And I think that these are questions that all of us deal with. We all kind of play with those notions of maybe having this wish list, having like a genie that grants us three wishes. I don't, you know, I want to live forever and that being one of them. But I think for Phil, he goes to this interesting journey of being like, what's happening to, Ooh, I love this to, okay, okay. It's time to stop. And this passage of, of time takes him through really three levels of personal, like a personal journey selfishness, suicide, and virtue, kind of in that order. Do you think that's a realistic portrayal of what would happen to any particular person stuck in the same day, or do you think it's more exaggerated? Well, I mean, it's it's absolutely exaggerated to an extent because it's a movie and it's a comedy and it's supposed to make us laugh. So in order to do that, you do that through what you perceive to be exaggeration. But it's one of my favorite things about this movie is to wonder and consider what i would do in his case like in his situation and if i was walking in his shoes i think that what phil does is he he really goes through this cycle of he attempts to kind of first fix his behavior by doing all of these different he he does it in different ways i guess is is where i'm coming from and it all takes time before he leads up to the point where he's killing himself and then he's eventually trying to be good to make it all work. So what I what I find interesting is when the film starts and Phil's first reaction is to exper- experiment, right? He, he needs to figure out what's happening. And I think that that's very accurate. So I think it's a great choice uh, for the character because I think that's what we would do in time travel movies is try to figure out what the limits are. What are the rules that we're living in right now? What does this mean? How does it work? And as he slowly begins to discover those things, it informs the way that his decisions get made, right? And so because his personality is a selfish one, he tries that first and he acts completely selfishly. He just kind of wants to get what he can get out of the deal. And then I think he realizes that there's nothing fulfilling about that. You know, essentially, it's not lasting because it doesn't move on past that day and everything resets again. So imagine if you had to convince someone to love you over and over and over. It would be exhausting, right? And so, you know, I think he when he gives up on that, he moves into that behavior of trying to be more moral and kind of changing his outlook. And so... I do think that it's a realistic progression, at least for what I would go through. Uh, I I think that there would be definitely an element of selfishness to the way that I would start if I was given an opportunity to repeat a day or repeat a period of time. Yeah, I think having this kind of experience exposes the the kind of the true nature of who we are as people. And I don't think it's unintentional that when we get introduced to Phil, we, we see his conceit, we see his arrogance. And so it makes sense in the movie to see him playing out those vices. But what's interesting about this is that when you're exposed to that much of a vice, when you have too much of a good thing, over time, what we what we see is a guy who starts to realize Maybe there's more to this than just my own personal benefit. And really, it comes down to kind of a mental boredom. 
I mean, if the same things are happening every day, and we only, I've read enough about this movie to know that what we see on screen is not the, obviously not the finite number of days that he experiences. He experiences probably thousands and thousands more. But Puxatawney is not a big town. And he's experienced things off screen that we never get to see enough to get this familiarity with this place. But there's something kind of like a personal hell that is created here because he is experiencing the same things over over and over again. There's predictability. And when he compares himself to being a god, not the god, as he says, I think that there's something interesting about the fact that it's not his omnipotence, but that he's just stuck around for so long that he's experienced the same thing over and over again. Yeah, I mean, and when he kills himself, he says, I've killed myself so many times, I don't even exist anymore. Yeah. he Because he loses, there, there's nothing of him left because it's just this rep- repetition. It's just this routine that exists without, almost without choice at that point. Right. Um, it, it becomes the same thing over and over again. And, I, and one of, that's one of the things I find most fascinating about the way this story is told is that he remembers each day. Like, if he remembers it, but no one else does. And, and I just can't even grasp the pain that this would be to progress within a world. You're progressing, but nothing around you is changing. And you're completely yeah. aware of your influence on it and your experiences within it. So it's changing you, but they don't know that that's happening. Right. And there's this interesting thing of being surrounded by the same people and the same events every day. The irony of feeling completely alone in that. I mean, we really get that. We get so many instances, like everything that he does usually is connected to somebody else. Like he never does really anything in isolation. It's always in connection to someone else, whether it's going to the movies dressed up as Clint Eastwood, I think, or whether it's seducing uh, a, a woman from, from the diner or even when we get into more of the the good deeds, it's good deeds that he does for other people. Like he's not in isolation. And again, we don't see everything, but what we're meant to see, I think, articulates that particular idea that he has to have that connection with people in some way, shape, or form. Because even his selfishness, he needs something from someone else or some other people in order to be satisfied. Like he can't live on an island and be completely selfish because his selfishness and his ego and all this stuff is completely dependent on others. I mean, he's a TV personality. He wouldn't have the ego that he does without having people appreciate him. If he did this all alone, not getting any kind of feedback or any kind of um, compliments or insults from others, it would not, it would shape him differently. And I think experiencing the same day over and over again goes against that that desire because these people aren't changing with him as you mentioned he could do something nice for rita or for someone else but the next day they're not going to remember it and therefore they're not going to know that he's changed or that he's so it it works both ways they're not going to know he's a jerk because this day is going to reset but they're also not going to know that he's gained a virtue or that he can have an act of sincerity or that he can be a a person that can be depended on because the day repeats itself. And so even though there's no consequences, there's also, there's no rewards at that point. And it's, it's, I mean, it's very, very frightening. (laughs) Well, yeah, it is. And I think one of, one of the things that I would say I don't necessarily think is realistic is towards the end, um, on his in, on his last final day or final days, the way in which the townsfolk seem to acknowledge and praise and love him is a bit unbelievable that in one single day with no prior knowledge, they would form that level and that deep of a relationship with him. You know, even if he did the good things he did in those days, you know, if he did the one good deed for the old lady. Or, you know, save the kid in the tree. Uh, You know, things like that. Just the demeanor of them when they're interacting there at the uh, auction and such. And everybody's coming up to Rita talking about how great Phil Connors is. 
I, I think it's a little unrealistic to think that someone rolled into town that morning and by that evening, so many people in the town are treating him as if he is like this amazing icon of the town. I think, and I, and I understand it from a, you know, narrative telling a story perspective, because you've got to kind of do that to move things along. But that's the one unrealistic part. Oh, I absolutely agree. Because one, there's not enough time. Right. And there's not enough exposure. Ironically. Yeah, exactly. Ironically. There's a, uh, just as a side note, there's a, uh, there's a ABC family Christmas movie that my wife and I watch every year that is blatantly a ripoff of this. It's called The Twelve Dates of Christmas. And it's the same kind of idea. It stars Amy Smart and Mark Paul Gossler. And, but I think the same kind of ideas that exist in this movie are what make us really enjoy that with this, you know, Christmas bow on top of it. That there's a sense of learning, there's a sense of understanding about yourself. And our main character is, is Phil Connors. I mean, that's who she is. It's just a different circumstance where she's learning more about herself. But I, I really like that. I like that kind of exposure and being able, and there's a scene near the end of that movie that does the exact same thing. Like all the things that she's had an effect on in this particular day that we've experienced over the course of multiple days all come to a head in this one moment, this one event. And I'm like, mm, it's a Christmas miracle, I guess, because, but at the same time, it's, it's a feel good part of the movie. And this is, this is where we have to suspend our disbelief because it's a time travel movie. It so is. we've already suspended our disbelief at that it, point. It's the, it's the, I remember the moment that I kind of rolled my eyes when I watched it this latest time. And it, it was the piano teacher coming up and being like, this is my prize student. And I was thinking to myself, okay, first of all, he's been to you now for however many infinite number of days in order to get this good at piano, which means that on this day, on this version of the cycle, he walked into your house knowing darn well how to play piano really good by that point like he didn't learn it overnight and so to then call him your student was a little bit disingenuous like she didn't actually teach him she doesn't know that she's taught him all she knows is that single day and so that that's where it kind of like it's hard but i mean we've talked about time travel movies before and this is a fact time travel movies will almost always have some sort of flaw in the logical way in which you perceive them it is it's almost impossible to make one that doesn't have a, a way to punch a hole in the timeline somewhere somehow because otherwise you can't make an entertaining story <laughs> so exactly so like you said it's it all works um i just wanted to bring that up you know it, it's interesting though because like what you're saying is on his journey he basically goes his ultimate what, what he learns to me is that there's no point worrying about the past or the future that you've got to worry about the present, you got to live in the present, and you got to treat people the way that you should treat people or the way that you would want to be treated in the moment without any regard for what might or might not come from that treatment in the future and what may or may not have dictated how you treated them from the past because none of that matters today. And that is probably the most brilliant piece of the story and why I love it so much, because there are things that I kind of have issues with in some of the the themes, honestly, some questions I have. But that one is the one that resonates with me. The idea that this gives me a, a picture of a person who is living that life out eventually. He gets to that point where he says, it doesn't matter what's going to happen tomorrow, Patrick. doesn't matter whether this podcast gets downloaded or not. I'm going to podcast with you and I'm going to do it in the moment. I'm going to enjoy this conversation for what it is to have it and what happens to it happens to it. You know, what it, what comes of it comes of it. Whatever got us to the point of being on the mics tonight, none of that matters at this point because now we're here. And that's something that I struggle with in my life because I'm, I'm I think a lot of us do, which is why we all resonate with this movie so well is because we all think about like the ultimate results of what we're doing and i'm a planner i'm an organizer so it hits me particularly hard because i am definitely always trying to put the domino pieces together to get the results that i want way down the line and this movie shows me that that's 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 okay to an extent but i, I can't let it be at the 
cost of giving up actually being present in the moment. So I don't know. I don't know. That's kind of what I take out of his journey, I guess. There's a lot to take out of his journey. Uh, it is a it is a very good example of the hero's journey, and you've heard us talk about this on our Mary Poppins episode. So if you need a detailed analysis of those particular components, check that out. But I will say that among the themes and among the things that we get to experience, there's definitely a spiritual aspect that comes out of this. This is something that I thought about, and our friends, uh, our friend James Harleman. He had a lot to say on, uh, you know, from his synagogue post about Groundhog Day. But aside from that, what we see here is this, this journey of virtue, this journey of how do I get out of this? And words like, um, like penance, this idea of walking through, seeing Phil walk through this day and trying to figure out how do I get out of this? How do I get out of this? Because as we mentioned before, he gets to that first part of the story by just being completely selfish and embracing the benefits of living this day over and over again with no consequences. But then he moves into this new kind of mindset of, okay, maybe I should do stuff for other people. Maybe I should become more altruistic. And what's interesting is that I don't think that solves the problem either because there's this moment where I think he's done a number of different things, but I think he still has to relive the day again a couple of times. And the ambiguity of how he actually gets out of the day, at least it wasn't obvious to me on how he gets out of Groundhog Day. Maybe you can have some share some share some things on that. But I wanted to kind of talk a little bit about some of these the religious components. Not not or not religious, but more spiritual components. This idea of what does it mean to be good and and how we react to the world around us in order to get out of kind of this emotional or mental or spiritual situation that we're in. Yeah. It this is a great one for people who love theology and coming at it from a faith-based standpoint, whether you're a Christian or some other faith, um, this movie kind of touches on some concepts that can be applied to all faiths in various ways. It really feels like Phil is on a journey of redemption from the start, that he's this complete jerk. He treats people like crap and it's, it's uh, you said it, penance, like he needs to penance for his sins, essentially. Um, he needs to pay the price <laughs> for them or make up for them, as some people would call it. And that's what he's going through is like some sort of almost torture in order to rede retain like or attain some sort of redemption. And this is where I struggle with the film a bit because I feel like the ultimate answer that we get implies that if we live long enough we will ultimately always choose to live morally so we will eventually make that choice to live morally if given enough time and enough experiences and my problem is that while it is super entertaining to watch happen and it's hopeful to a point to think about learning from living in the present. The reality is that our days are numbered and we don't get infinite number of days to decide that we're going to live morally. And so it it's it's a we it's a bit weird for me honestly that Phil kind of gets to come out the hero after a thousand days of going through this. Now, what I see of him in the film is great. Um, you know, the, there's a, there's a, there's a great scene with the doctor where they're talking and there's some, some great spiritual stuff in there, you know, like he was old, it was just his time. And I think that's when he realizes that he can't, he can't affect things. You know, he isn't a God, as you mentioned earlier, where he thought he was like, sometimes people just die. And I love that. I love that note that's in this film because it's it's accurate and it's true. But it kind of points to this idea of destiny where, you know, like 
that old guy that his destiny was to die. Phil couldn't save him. And yet Phil's destiny was to eventually live morally to the point where he gets it. And why him? Like of all the people in the world, why is Phil the only one that gets to experience this everlasting loop to come to this point? So it, there are, there are questions I find about it that, that kind of make me a little bit confused. I mean, it seems to me that ultimately he finds satisfaction in his days by enjoying them and being good to others. And that's good enough for him. Even if that's all it is and he has to relive the day over and over and over. And I think I like that. I take that out of it. It's a very positive takeaway. But yeah, it's, um, it's got some complicated mixed messaging, I think. Yeah, I look at it as one of the areas that challenges me is asking the question what it means to be a good person and how being a good person gets you ultimately what it is that your heart desires. And I, I don't, as an, as an audience, as one person, I can make that assumption knowing that Harold Ramis may not have been saying that at all. But from what I gleaned, it seemed that when Phil's heart was changed, when he became more altruistic, when he saw the world as being more valuable than himself, that's when he was able to escape this loop. And he was a changed person. And on the surface, that sounds wonderful. But when we think about the consequences and the challenges of his situation, that he got to go through and experience this and have this life-changing experience to come out of it because he was ultimately good from a spiritual standpoint really puts the power on him. It doesn't put the power on anyone or anything else. And so when you're talking about living a moral life, there's there's good in that, but it's still inherently flawed because at any given point, Phil could go back and be that same person that he was. What I think the movie does for me is that, as you alluded to earlier, it does talk about, in some ways, seizing the day, not thinking about where you came from and not thinking about tomorrow, but living in that moment. But I think it also says a lot about not being defined by your past or your future, but by making the most of where you are now, no matter how it shapes what your future looks like. So I want to bring up something that's relevant and current as a, it just came to me as a conversation was having in the Facebook discussion group with some of our listeners that are members of that today. So this week, Liam Neeson came out doing interviews for his new film, Cold Pursuit. I don't know if you're aware of this, Patrick. Have you heard the, the, okay. So in some interviews, you know, Neeson was being asked about getting into character for these revenge films that he does. And he basically said, and I'm going to paraphrase what I've read. So listeners don't hold me to like any kind of standard of perfect journalism here. I'm paraphrasing. Basically, Neeson said at one point, a family member was raped in his past and they were raped by an African-American, and he left the house with a weapon, searching the streets, looking for anyone of color that he could kill in revenge. That's dark. That's really bad. And that's racist behavior. Now, this happened like 40 years ago or something. So it's come out now, and it's caused, of course, as you would imagine... Huge firestorm online, social media, and lots of differing opinions, lots of conversations happening about it. And I think what came up in the group is a lot about, a lot like what you're saying, because we were discussing whether or not he needs to be held accountable for that, the, the, the way he felt in the past, when he clearly now is telling this story as a means of expressing how he has changed and how it was wrong, and how he acts now. And that's an example to me of, you can't let your past define you. It will always have had a role in getting you where you are, just kind of uh, by default, you know? But 
It's about what you're doing with that information that day. And so like today or on the day Liam Neeson is having this interview, he's expressing this in the way to say, this is a feeling that I used to have. It was bad. I have changed. Here's why I have changed. And here's how I choose to act now that is morally positive or morally correct. And that's kind of what living in the moment is all about. Living in the day, living in the present. He's not... He's not worried about what it's going to do for his future, clearly, because it's caused a firestorm and it's 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 all over. Like it's wrecking his ability to promote his movie. But in the moment, he knew that telling that story was a matter of saying and, and expressing a means of people can be redeemed and can change the way they feel. I guess I don't know if you're following me at all, but I feel like it's a great comparison. Absolutely, it is. And we can't ignore who Phil was in this movie. And who he is, because the fact is, if we get introduced to Phil an hour and a half into this, we wouldn't have the weight of who he is then based if we didn't know who he was. Like he had to come from some place in order to come out and be this this new thing, this redeemed character. And we you're right in that we can't ignore our past. We can't pretend that it never happened. But in our faith, Aaron, our faith teaches us that when we choose to follow Christ, the old person is gone, and we are now living a redeemed life. Not independent of the fact that sin, what we call sin, is still part of who we are. But the fact is, when Paul talks about this in Ephesians, he says, you were this, now you are this. And I think that's what that's kind of the journey that Phil's gone on. It's by the end of the movie, he realizes that he was one thing. And now, because of life experiences, because of his relationship with Rita and his connections with the townspeople, he is now someone different. And he makes the conscious choice not to go back to that old life. And that's what I'm pulling away from a movie like this, is that we have a guy who is consciously choosing to recognize who he was and choosing not to live that way anymore. And to me, that tracks with our faith. That tracks with this idea that our salvation is by definition our way of saying, you were this, you were this old, this old life, this old body, this, this old sinful life is now gone. You're not under that law anymore. You're now free in Christ. And I think that Phil experiences that from a moral standpoint where he says, I'm not that guy anymore. And I'm choosing not to reinforce who I was by being this, this new Phil, this new improved Phil. Yeah. I mean, that's his intentions. And yeah. according to the story, all we know is that by him making that, he reaches some magical mental place of decision-making where it triggers the ending of the groundhog day. And I guess, I, you know, I think from a narrative filmmaking perspective that's the way that they're telling us phil has changed for good because him changing for good is what makes the trigger Mm -hmm. which is kind of cool because in a way that implies an omnipotent uh you know force that is actually controlling this and it's not in phil's you know it's not some random act of chance or random you know occurrence that's just happening over and over and over something is making the choice to understand what phil's destiny is going to be like and how phil is going to change in the future so that he can get out of this because he's different Uh, right yeah it's it's pretty good i mean there's there's so much you can dive into and uh and pull out of this and i it's fascinating to me and i would love to almost hear what people of other faith think about this and and how they apply it because i guess definitely there are faiths that um are built around the ideas of good works being the most important thing. And if, if that's the case, then Phil is certainly living out that type of faith because that's what he's doing. He's prioritizing good works. Um, You know, he even ends the movie with saying it was the end of a very long day. Is there anything I can do for you today? Like he's asking Rita, is there something I can do for you? That that's what he wants to focus on. His last thought is what can I do for someone else? Yeah. I'm glad you brought up Rita because that's one thing that I think anybody can agree on is that she is the center point of his world in this narrative. 
I mean, even early on when he is having fun with, I can't remember her name, <laughs> who makes chipmunk noise. Nancy, who makes chipmunk noises when she gets really excited. Um, he calls her Rita twice. And I don't think that's unintentional. I mean, even from the very beginning when he sees her in uh, in front of that blue screen or green screen and just kind of being silly, she kind of catches his eye and he's he's got this um i don't know he's got something for her but she becomes what i think is the anchor in his world she's really the only person that we see again what we see the only person that he wants to convince or that he's just desperately trying to convince that he's living the same day over and over again and he says a lot of great things about her that she's nice and she has you know all these great qualities and just like before i wonder does a character like rita exist in real life or do you think she's more personified and more parabolic in who she is like do you think that this is a real person that that could anchor to him or is she just there for you know narrative fun or narrative purposes i mean she's there because Love and relationships drive the vast majority of what humans seek, I think. And so making that Phil's greatest desire is to be with Rita, essentially. Um, his one heart's true longing gives this a, a romantic comedy aspect to it. It gives it that angle and makes it a little bit sweet. Um, so I think that there is, you know, definitely narrative choice that plays into this. But I think that it's very realistic. I, I mean, I can, <laughs> I can tell you it's realistic for me. Like if, if I had the option to do something a million times over in order to change the outcome of how a one, one relationship or one result would be, it would be a relationship type thing for, for sure. I would want to make that perfect relationship be the thing that turns out correctly. And that seems to be what Phil's driving force is um yeah i think i think she's sweet i think she represents a, a pretty grounded person she calls him out on his craziness when he's being crazy during some of his days and i love the rejection that she gives him uh, during the film when you know at one point she says is this what love is to you you'll never love anyone but yourself and she slaps him and she goes that's for making me care about you and I was like, yes, thank you. Thank you, God, for not allowing this man to manipulate his way into your heart because it seems like that's what it is. And it, it made me wonder, honestly, this time around watching this movie, I haven't watched it in quite a few years. And, and I struggled a bit because I thought to myself, gosh, is this a real relationship? And I mean, is it really? If it's gained through one person experiencing a relationship for a thousand days of building that, of changing things, of memories, and one person that has 24 hours of that, do you really know each other? One is completely oblivious to that other stuff. And, and I actually thought about it, Patrick. I was like, it's kind of like having sex with a drunk person <laughs> to be very almost vulgarly blunt about it. But like, if you do that, I mean, obviously you're wrong, and it's assault, yada, yada, yada. But the point is, that person is going to wake up and not necessarily remember that experience outside of the act itself that may have happened, and you had a completely different experience with that person. It was a very one-sided affair. So regardless of how it turns out, it doesn't change the the way they got there, and I just, I don't know, I just have a hard time buying the romance as well in the end because of how it's constructed yeah the essence of time is both really great and really flawed in a movie like this because honest to goodness relationships take time no pun intended i mean they really do and phil has essentially used an infinite number of days to learn as much about rita as possible and she knows nothing about him apart from what she knew the day before 
and the day before that, which is really not much. She only knows him based on what she's heard and the two days that she spent with him. So it is unfair. But what's interesting about Rita is to kind of go back to this theological vantage point. She reminds me a lot of a Jesus figure in that she represents not what is good, but what could be and like what purity is, what it means to be. She represents almost like a sinless character because we don't see flaws in her. We don't see a person who has, and again, with the limited scope that we have, we don't see anything more than what we're, we're asked to, which is a, a person who is kind to children, who cares about the world around them from, from Phil's standpoint uh, and from what he's, what he talks about. So she represents the ideal. She represents what a person could be, I think. I don't think it makes her unrealistic. I, I, I've known people like this, but I've known people like this and deep in my heart know that they're flawed as well because I don't get to see a hundred percent of this person or of these particular people. And yes, I could make the argument that she's probably got flaws, but the fact is to Phil, she's perfect. And to Phil, she is the relationship that he needs. She is the person that he needs in order to feel complete. The, the struggle that I have is similar to yours in that I think he tries to attain that by gaining knowledge and not gain trust and, and depth of the relationship because she hasn't experienced these days with him. And I think that in any relationship, the good and the bad help make that relationship complete. All he's getting is the best, whereas she's not getting anything. And we get pockets of that near the end that I think kind of help that resolve. But from from a standpoint, I think she's more of a caricature in a good way than a true character, even though I've known people like this. But I think that that she represents more than she actually exhibits. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I totally agree with that you know it's just i don't know it's just tough for me i go back and forth i mean my connecting points reader related i'll just throw that out as a spoiler ahead of time like i there are great things about their relationship that i see um but great moments within it i think great learning points within it but i ultimately still always end up feeling like it's sort of a cheat because even in the end phil wants to focus on his new relationship with rita even though they've technically only been together for one evening, he wants to talk about them living together and getting a place in Punxsutawney. They've been together for 24 hours, according to her. And yet they come out of this. And this is why I'm so torn because I literally, Patrick, I just gave you the quote about him saying how, what can I do for you today? Like that's the right kind of way to be in a relationship. That's the right kind of love to express to a significant other. But at the same time, I'm like, dude, you went into this whole ideal obsessed with Rita and making it all about like trying to get Rita to love you. And you're coming out of it and it's still all about Rita. Like your priority in life is 100% about Rita. It's not, I came out about the, of life and I can't wait to go out in the world and had make an impact and do good things for the world that are actually going to be sustained and stay like I almost want, I almost wanted that. I wanted like Phil to be like, that's my priority, man. I can't wait to go volunteer and to donate money and to do things that actually will not be undone when the clock resets. But no, it's all about being happy because he got the girl. So this is, this is where I think the movie is beautiful because of your argument, because I'm counter to that. I think that his love for Rita, if I'm using that Jesus analogy, I'm taking it further. She is his motive, and it's that motive that allows him to, what I believe, change the world, change the world around him. He's not doing, yes, he's doing stuff for her to make her happy, to please her, but the end result is that the world is a better place because of his relationship with her. And that's really the heart of what our faith says about our relationship with Jesus. We're not motivated to make the world a better place. 
we're motivated to please Jesus Christ in our relationship with him. And as a result of that, the world around us is affected by that because of that relationship that we have through him. Like I am motivated by my love for Jesus. And that it's what separates someone who is doing something in Jesus name versus who's doing something for the sake of, Hey, that will make me happy. That will make me feel good to know that I built that house for somebody or I was part of that. And it's, again, this is very specific and very, um, small kind of window into like my personal faith journey. But I think the end result is the fact that when Phil looks at Rita, he says she represents the best of what I can be. So why not let her be the object of my affection in order to help change the outlook of the world and change the world for that? Because she's the reason why I want to change. And I know that seems so counter to well, his heart didn't change. You know, he's, you know, if he's not a, you know, if he's only changing for her, that seems kind of shallow. Well, no, I mean, not necessarily. When I look, I think that his heart changes because of his relationship with her and that his desires line up with hers in that regard. Now, again, I'm taking the analogy to an extreme and I fully admit that, but I think that the Rita character allows him to have a focal point in order to make those kinds of decisions. Like everything is not for her benefit, but everything is because he has her heart in mind. If he's doing it for her, it's not right, period. Like there's no I, – I guess that's what I'm saying. Like if he's doing it to earn her love or earn her whatever. I don't think it's, it's earning. It's, I think it's because he's doting. I think it's genuine like I love you so much that I want to do these things to please you. Right. That's not a change in a heart though is my point. Like – that's not heart change. Heart change is I'm doing these things because of their impact on the people that I'm doing these things for. It's I want to stop this guy from falling out of a tree because I don't want that guy to die, not because I think Rita would appreciate the reason. And I I don't want to get off here because that's not what happens. That's not mm -hmm. what happens. He does them because he learns the moral lessons. I'm saying it's a little inconsistent in the way that it wraps up because it still gives us the message that in the end, it, he's still it's all about getting the girl. It's mm -hmm. still all about his head and his focus is about life with Rita after the fact. It's not about what he just learned in making every day all about what he can do to for the world and everything about him. It's about what can I do for you, Rita. It's all back on Rita. And I, I don't think it's wrong. I think that's the way that his relationship with Rita should be. I agree with that. I just am left a little wanting mm -hmm. because it doesn't express anything about how he wants to serve the rest of the world today and that's the lesson that he learned mm -hmm. if we're to believe that this is not all about him getting rita so i just i think that there was a little bit of a miss there yeah and, and i'm left a little a little bit torn i just yeah i just look at that and i go his relationship with rita became less about his pursuit of her and genuinely about his companionship with her and his desire to be with her and I don't think that he was trying to earn anything. Like, again, I think that there's a lot of grace that lives in that relationship with her. And the results of that, all the different things that he does in that last day, all the good things that he does were not with her in mind. But I think they were influenced by his relationship with her and what he sees from her. Not that he's like, hey, this will impress her. This will do this or this will do that. Right. That's what I'm saying. I'm not arguing that. That's not that's not the point that I'm making. I'm not making any point about how he progresses in the story, his choices being driven by Rita. The story is about him getting to the point where his choices are not about Rita. They're about doing what he feels is right in the world. And it happens to so line up and in, in it attracts Rita to him naturally without him doing it to intentionally attract her. It naturally brings her to him. We, we, we see that I'm saying in the end, the very end of the movie, it's still in his head. Our last lines from Phil are all about Phil and Rita and how he's going to live with Rita and how he's going to be in love with Rita. It's not about how he has changed and what that change says about how he's going to live his life differently. Fair enough. It's still about getting it's still in his head. What we see is I'm happy I got the girl. Not I'm happy I've become a different person. Does that make sense? 
mm-hmm. is what I'm saying. Now, I'm not, I'm not, again, I love this movie. I love this movie. I love that it makes me think about these things. I, I love that it makes me question that. And I, I mostly love their relationship. It just gives me a little bit of, of confusion somewhat. Yeah. To, I think to that. I just see it as a both and instead of an either or. And I think he can have his cake and eat it too by the end of the movie. And that's what I think is great about the resolution is even if it doesn't resolve completely like in an understanding way, it makes sense to me that he's got both and that because of that, he is a better person. Like he's a more fulfilled and a more complete Phil, Phil Connors, you know, anyway. All right. Well, if you don't have anything else, let's move into our connecting points. And I wanted to, like I mentioned before, I'll go ahead and, and read Jeremy's and then, um, or actually, you know what? How about you do it? Since I've talked a lot, why don't you go ahead and read Jeremy's and then, uh, and I'll follow up with mine. Good. Cause I never can talk enough. That's just a fact of life. All right. Jeremy's connecting point, which, uh, better be good, Jeremy, because you didn't have to do this on the spot. You had time to prepare and come up with this. And this is your favorite movie of all time. And I'd hate for you to botch this and it'd be worse than our, no, I'm kidding. Um, Jeremy's connecting point's really good. I, I loved it, actually. His is when Phil catches a young boy falling from the tree, knowing that he won't be thanked. And Jeremy says this, Phil's final day is filled with him doing little acts to positively affect the people in Punxsutawney. Saving the boy in the tree is the only one that doesn't serve to boost Rita's opinion of him in any possible way because she doesn't know what's happening. It's a thankless act that he does anyway because it's the right thing to do. In Jeremy's mind, it's the act that most shows the audience that Phil is at the end of his journey. And he has successfully made the trip from narcissism to hedonism to nihilism, and he finally arrives at altruism. And while Phil can't control the kind of excitement his actions to the other people helps create, i.e. everybody coming to him at the end, this is the only act that will only ever be known by Phil and this little boy. Um, it's a really, really great point, Jeremy. I love that. Um, I totally agree with you. Uh, and it's definitely my favorite act, good act, I think, in the movie as well that Phil does. Yeah, I think it combines the drama and the comedy of what we love about Groundhog Day kind of in a nutshell with that one moment. <laughs> it, it does. And, you know, and it, it's Danny Rubin who wrote this movie. And it's fascinating to me that he has like no other movie credits. He has He's written like one other film. After this, and in a TV episode or two, and he disappeared. And it's just amazing because this is an incredible script. It's so nuanced. It's so well written. And in that moment, it's such a comedic one-liner about, you never thank me, you know? Like, But it means so much in the bigger scheme of the, the narrative, like Jeremy's pointing out here. It, that's brilliant writing. Like, that's exceptional and it's kind of sad that he didn't write anything else you know i, know. I would have loved to see what he what he could have done well we got groundhog day so we did but you know anyway good enough we can just watch it over and over like we do exactly. well i'll go next patrick uh my connect or wait did you want to go next I think let you me go next. next stop talking and let me go i like this off <laughs> well my connecting point was phil's cafe conversation that he has with rita and he's she's introducing her to all the the different people in it and there's so much that i love about this scene how it starts with phil believing that he is a god and not the god how he wants rita to quote believe in him and i love that at first glance we see this as a play on the fact that rita should believe in his godness but then he goes through the diner and he shows her how much time he spent with these folks knowing the most intimate parts of their lives and that's that's really crucial because the things that he points out are very, very much things that you don't get necessarily in a just a simple initial coffee conversation. He'd have to spend a lot of time with these folks to get this information. As an audience, we glean that he's invested in them, that he's gotten to know what's important to them. And then Rita says, well, what about me? Do you know me too? And then that moment, I think we get probably the second best moment of Phil's sincerity calling out all the things that he's learned about her. But instead of using it to manipulate her like he has, he does it as a means to convince her that what he's saying is the absolute truth. That, quote, every day I wake up right here, it's February 2nd, and there's nothing I can do about it. And what I really, really love is the fact that Murray's delivery in this moment is what sells me on that sincerity. You know, 
up to this point, it's been sarcastic and it's been frustrating and mean. He sounds tired, hopeless, and desperately wants Rita to believe in him, to believe that he's not only telling the truth, but that how he feels is genuine. He even says in that last ditch effort, right? He says he's writing the uh, the note. He says, "Please believe me. You've got to believe me." It's such a great setup to to what I think uh, happens next in such a such a powerful way. Well, I couldn't agree with you more. I think that is a fantastic scene and a wonderful setup for my connecting point, <laughs> which is uh, the end of that evening when Phil and Rita are laying in bed clothed by the way and i don't know if they had sex but i'm just gonna say this i just love films that do this that don't feel that characters always have to have sex on that first date essentially uh, in order to show us that there has been some deeper connection between the two of them i actually find it much more sweet and much more loving that they would be laying there in the way that they are in this film and this is where phil is just saying nice things to her when she's asleep and I you know I'm just gonna play it real quick because I, I want to hear it again I've never seen anyone that's nicer to people than you are <laughs> the first time I saw you something happened to me I knew that I wanted to hold you as hard as I could. I just love this. I it is so honest and so sincere along the lines of, of what you were saying. Honestly, sincere. Yes, I know. We're never going to be able not to make that bye bye birdie joke. But it, it's not for personal gain. And why is it not for personal gain? It's not for personal gain because she can't hear him. He is saying these things to her with zero intention and zero potential benefit to come from them. He's not manipulating her by telling her these things and trying to get a reaction. It's just him honestly talking from his heart. He can't not say these things to her, regardless of whether she hears or responds to him. And, I, and I've felt this, Patrick. I've, I've felt that compulsion. And I, I think this is when you know love is love to an extent. This is a, a one of the indicators. Is It's a compulsion. Like, I need to tell you how amazing you are and how I feel about you and what you mean to my life and, and how I would love to, you know, continue that because I want you to understand it in any way I possibly can show you. And so his humility here, it's finally come all the way about and he knows that he hasn't earned her love and he knows that he doesn't deserve her attention. And he's okay with that. He's, he's at peace. But yet it's so sweet because he's finally capable of loving her back for real now, if she does choose him. And I also really like, Patrick, that he leads off this first sentence with the word kindest instead of the word prettiest. He says, I think you're the kindest, sweetest, prettiest person I've ever met in my life. It's a really small thing in the big scheme of things, but I think it shows that his priorities are in the right place. Because so often we think of praising a significant other as pretty, beautiful, handsome, hot, gorgeous, all of these words. That's the first thing that comes out. And instead, it's the last thing that comes out of Phil's mouth. And I just really thought that meant a lot. And this is one of the sweetest scenes in the movie, and I adore it. 
it's a fantastic connecting point, as is mine and as is Jeremy. So what else can you say? But those are awesome. <laughs> Did we not? Everything is awesome. Everything is awesome. Wink, 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 wink. wink. <laughs> well, that about wraps it up for us listeners. We appreciate you guys uh, being listeners. And uh, we hope that you can uh, be a part of the conversation either by responding to us in any way possible. If you want to hear more from us, you will get a chance to do that. We're bringing you a new episode of FF Plus later this week. And then we are following that up with a trip back to the theater, giving you our take on the, yes, as you hint, hint, winked, winked, nudge, nudged toward us to the Lego movie to the second part filled with all of its colons and other grammatical absurdities in the title. We hope that you're going to enjoy that. I think we will. I know that Aaron already has, and I'm excited about getting a chance to join you in that excitement. Thanks for listening, guys. Hey, everyone. Thanks again for listening. If you enjoy the show, we'd love to hear from you. You can leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening. These help increase visibility for the show and grow our community of listeners like you. We also invite you to connect with us further by joining our ever-growing Facebook discussion group, A link to that is in the show notes, or you can just search on Facebook and find us that way. If you'd like to continue the conversation with me, you can follow the show on Twitter, at FeelinFilm, or connect with me in the Facebook group. I'm very active in both places and would love to chat. And if you want to connect with me, you can find me at Shoeless Patch on both Facebook and Twitter. Be sure to tag me in any comments so that I'll be notified and not miss you. Once again, thank you for listening. We'll be back soon. Until then, stay positive. And keep feeling film.